Here we go. Here we go. Another episode coming at you. This one's with Brett. He's a co-founder of the Meat Mafia along with Harry. Harry was the episode number one, first guest that was published on this podcast. And I think you'll enjoy this one. It's epic. Talk about the mission of the Meat Mafia, a media company focused on nutrition in the health space. We'll talk about the vision and the genesis, the origin story. How'd they go from scratch to over 100,000 followers in eight months? 120 episodes of the Meat Mafia podcast with some of the biggest names in the space. We dig in. Appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'm here today with Brett, also known as Mr. Solozo Online. How are you today? I'm good, Case. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be here, so I appreciate you having me come on the show. Absolutely. Really excited to have this conversation with you. You have a wealth of knowledge in a variety of topics and are very good at expressing it in a way that lands and makes impact. Have you always been this way? Have you always been an excellent communicator and, and you know knowledgeable on, on various domains, or is this sort of a new part of who you are? Oh, it's a, that's a great question. I actually love that to, to start off with the show because I think it probably leads into, into my backstory, which is a good point. And I think what I'm learning is that, you know, when you're a kid, I think you show a lot of your natural abilities and, you know, with the growth mindset, you can definitely improve on a lot of things. But I think there are some of these like core tenets and interests that are just a part of you and they, and they don't really change even as you get older. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved to read, I loved to write, I loved to draw, um, you know, I always loved to play sports. And then as I, I think as I got older um, and went to university and went to business school, that cr- those like creative juices really weren't getting exercised anymore. It was, I was very focused on, you know, just getting the, the best possible job that I could get, you know, getting a good sales job, just trying to network, climb, gain status. Like that was, that was kind of the mindset. And I think a lot of people feel that, but I think that inner creative side was always there. And I think uh, my co-host Harrison, who I know you had on for the first episode of the show, he thinks very similarly. So, um, you know, we both played baseball together at Babson, very similar personalities. And really what happened was we both graduated from school. I took a job in New York. He took a job in Boston. And, um, you know, we were just doing the corporate thing. And I had some some health issues that I had that I had cured through a carnivore diet where I basically ate all animal products for an extended period of time and was able to use diet and lifestyle as my way to cure this chronic inflammation that I couldn't seem to get rid of. I was on, you know, drugs and medication that was costing over $400,000 a year. And I really was able to like adopt some of these ancestral principles of eating real foods that, you know, cured my stomach and gave me this quality of life and vitality that I didn't know existed. So, you know, I was very passionate about that. I love talking to people about it. Um, and then everything really changed last year um, uh, in October of 2021. And the reason why I say everything changed there is because um, Harrison and I had, had done, we, we had done Ironman Texas. So we kind of left the Northeast. We moved to Texas. We got Airbnbs in, in Austin for three months, trained for this race. And, you know, we were kind of building off of each other's energy. We were cooking a lot of our meals. We were talking about nutrition. We were talking about things that had gone wrong in the food system had an amazing race and basically left that experience saying, you know, how can we take our passion for nutrition and trying to help people get healthier and put some of that out into the universe? Um, So I think that's probably like a good lesson. Number one is like everything that we're doing through the Meat Mafia is just, it's kind of just branched from our own passion about these topics, very similar to what you're doing through your show. So Harry started, he started blogging online. He started writing Twitter threads. I started writing Twitter threads, just very genuine. I, I think I wrote a thread on how I healed my ulcerative colitis through an animal-based approach to eating. You know, the thread had done really well. And like anything else, that was kind of just the spark that I needed. And since that time, to have just really tried to push out as, mu- as much good content as possible and just keep honing that craft as a writer and a content creator. Um, but that's basically a very long-winded way of saying, like prior to me being a child, I really had not exercised, you know, writing or long-form content or creation it was always in me and it was always something I was really interested in. It just took um, like, just kind of like the right push to get in the right direction. And, you know, prior to January, I really hadn't done that at all. Wow. And so you played baseball 
at Babson, what position did you play? I was a pitcher and then I also DH too. Um, so it's kind of like a, a two-way player. Nice. Do you have any favorite memories from those days? I don't necessarily miss playing baseball that much, but I just miss the feeling of being very singularly focused onto a goal with your best friends. A lot of people that have played sports at, you know, at a competitive level can re- relate, especially in college, right? It's like, you know, you're around your teammates all day long, you're practicing, you know, you could be spending 40 plus hours a week with these guys and it's just so much fun. You're just working towards a common goal. You're lifting weights together. You're eating meals together. You're training together. You're playing together. You're going to class together. I think that's really what I miss. And there's like a purity in that pursuit. And I think what happens is you, a lot of athletes, you graduate and then you go try and work this corporate job and you try and take that same mindset to your job. And it's like, it it translates from a competitive perspective, but like the purity of just trying to like win a championship or like kind of pursue a goal that's greater than yourself. I think a lot of people really struggle to get that in corporate America. And I think you see that a lot with people like in the millennial uh, generation, which obviously you and I both fall into that are just really dissatisfied with that because they don't necessarily know how to scratch that itch that they're looking for. Sounds like that's part of what drove you down the path to creativity and to entrepreneurship when you began the Meat Mafia, this is the name of the podcast that you have with Harrison, your co-host. How did that sort of begin? Did you have a big vision for it? And, and what is that now? Do you see, because I look at that as someone who has listened to a lot of your episodes, I see I see you as the co-founder of a, of a media company. Is that somewhat accurate? The way that I describe it now is the Meat Mafia. It's a media company focused in the nutritional space. It's a good question too. And it's something that like, it really just started from humble beginnings and it was just you know, our desire to create and just put something out there and also to have fun with it. I mean, I I talk to a lot of people now that will like kind of see what we've built in a short period of time because we've been doing this for probably seven, eh, probably about eight months total. And, you know, our Twitter following is around 100,000 followers. We've done over 120 episodes on the show. It's now like pretty consistently top 40 nutrition podcasts in the country. And I'm not saying that to be boastful. I'm more so just saying the fact that like, None of this had existed prior to January. So I think it's a it's a really good proof of concept that when you find the right niche and you're able to put in that intensity and kind of leave your authentic blueprint on something, your fingerprint on something, it's pretty amazing what can happen. And I speak to a lot of people that want to make this shift from consumer to creator. And I feel like a lot of people almost have this over-sciencing of what needs to be done. It's like they're over-complicating it so much in their head. And even with what we're doing with the Meat Mafia, Literally how this whole thing got started is Harrison was blogging about the nutrition space for a writer named Texas Slim, who's a Bitcoiner. And a lot of Bitcoiners have these anonymous Twitter accounts. And so what Slim said to Harry was, hey, don't you if you're going to create an account, why don't we do it under a fake name just in case, you know, you don't necessarily like what you're posting down the road. Also, you're going in a lot of these big food companies that are very well funded. It might be better to, to remain anonymous and keep your profile low. So he just randomly picked like the Godfather character Cl- Clemenza. So he named his Twitter handle Carney Clemenza. And then my, I was thinking to myself, I was like, shit, well, I want to write about big food too. I'm passionate about this stuff. And so I was like, oh, I like Salazzo is a great character. It's got a good zing to it. So I literally created a, a Twitter profile the same day. And then we just started blogging and writing about the topics that we were interested in. So like I mentioned, I started writing about healing ulcerative colitis. Um, Solbra saw that tweet, he retweeted it and it got like a thousand likes and I gained a couple hundred followers. So for me, that was my proof of concept of, okay, threads really work. And maybe you have a voice here that is valuable and maybe people are gravitating towards what you have to write about. And then I started, you know, writing about other things that I was interested in, something that you and I have connected over, like the benefits of incorporating organ meats, um, the consolidation of the beef industry how we started demonizing saturated fat, how the size of our chickens are so artificial compared to what they're meant to be, and found this niche of like telling stories in the nutritional space that kind of give color to why we're so unhealthy as a country. But that was something that really developed organically. Like it all stemmed from, hey, I was working this job. I really just was looking for this creative outlet um, to do something that I was passionate about. And there wasn't a lot of thought behind it. So I think it's pretty cool. 
um, you know, what you can turn something into just with like that initial spark and like just continuing to take action and just keep creating every single day. It really is cool. And it's been amazing watching the ascension of the popularity of, of what you are creating because it's really powerful. Like you mentioned, these stories that you're telling are very important technologies that are used to unlock the minds of people to realize, hey, what is going on? Because we all realize something's going wrong. In reality, there's a lot that's going wrong, but what's at the root of it? It's our food. It, it really is. And when you get down to it, it's like, whoa, there's some big fucking issues here. And we've got solutions. We've just got to tell these stories to each other. We, we've got to communicate. It's a grassroots movement. It's a people-powered movement. The government's not going to do jack shit. These companies aren't going to do anything. Really, that's one and the same. The government and these big companies are the same entity that, that are going to keep us down, keep us sick, keep us weak by feeding us this garbage that they're going to call heart healthy or whatever the heck they come up with next. And it really has been awesome to watch these stories that you share gain momentum and, and spread awareness. And now on, on just seven months, it's really the American dream. Like you've, you've quit your job, you and Harry, you both to focus on this full time to, to go on this entrepreneurial journey, working on something that really is important, something that matters. And on your podcast, you've interviewed some of the biggest names in this movement, Dr. Sean Baker, Kate Shanahan, Rob Wolf. You've been out to Rome Ranch to speak with Taylor Collins and, and out to um, Kyle Kingsbury's ranch to, to talk to him. Those were all mm -hmm. tremendous episodes. Reflecting back on the past year, uh, where you are now, what, what does it feel like to, to be where you are? What, what, do you, what do you think about everything that just went down? Yeah, man. I, and number one, like, I just want to let you know, it means so much to me and it means so much to Harrison, like just your consistent support too, because, you know, a lot of people, when you, you know, you create a show or you put something out there, there's a very few percentage of your friends that are actually willing to support you. And like, I, you're always retweeting our stuff. You've helped us get guests because you'll like publicly tag some of these big guests, which have helped us get, a, get them on the show. So like, number one, just appreciate that more than you know. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a special feeling. It's like, I, you know, I know the feeling of being in a nine to five and feeling really grateful for everything I have, but also feeling like, like maybe there's something missing. And the coolest thing about what we're doing with the podcast is like similar to you prior to creating peak earth and us creating meat mafia. I was a consumer of all these, con uh, of all these people like Sean Baker, Anthony Chafee, Rob Wolf, Kate Shanahan, um, these are all people that I leaned on when I was trying to heal myself and get myself healthy and kind of dig down the alternative health space and say, look, I want to get myself off of these, these drugs and medications. So, you know, to be at a situation where these, you know, we're able to get them on the show and you're able to become friends with these people. Um, you know, it's, it's just a really special thing. And I have a really vivid memory of, uh, August of this summer, I was still working my nine to five, but I was really cranking hard trying to, you know, trying to turn the meat mafia into something special. And the goal has always been to focus on this full time. And I think that I was hoping for this like red carpet that would be laid out where we'd be making so much money through the meat mafia. It would be like a no brainer just to quit my job and go full speed ahead. And, you know, by August, you know, we were making some money, but it definitely wasn't enough to necessarily replace what I was making at my nine to five. And I went back to New Jersey because one of my really good friends growing up got married and I was just, I was stressed out. I was traveling all the time. I was traveling for work. I was traveling to interview guests, go to speak at these conferences. And I was kind of burning the candle on both ends and started noticing some of my old stomach symptoms were starting to flare up. So I was really nervous that I was maybe having like a colitis flare up. I was worried I was going to have to get back on medication or something like that. Um, you know, I ended up getting a colonoscopy, everything was okay, but that was kind of the reminder for me that like life is very short and to build everything that we're doing into what I think we can build it into this old nine to five, this version of Brett 1.0 basically needs to go and you need to trust in what you're doing. And I don't think that that red carpet necessarily exists. I think maybe for some people it does, but you know, I just said to myself, I was like, look, you have savings, you're starting to make money, but more importantly, you're trying to be, build a brand and you're trying to help save children's lives and help make people healthier. So like lean into that in a mission that's so big that it scares you and just trust that everything else is going to work itself out. And um, like literally right after that, I was able to speak at the Beef Initiative Conference out in Crawford, Colorado, which is an amazing part of Colorado. It's very remote. 
um, no cell service. So my phone was basically completely dead. And I just connected with that experience of being out on a ranch. And it was just like, it was almost like God's reminder to me that I was on the right path. And then literally like the next Friday, I just put in my two weeks notice, quit my job and uh, we've just been sending it. And it's honestly like the best decision that I think I've ever made. And, you know, just really grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that and just believe in what we're doing. Man, that is, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And the one, one bit you mentioned about me being supportive, I, I really, that's one thing that I've, I've come to realize about the internet and social media is that it's one of the best uses for it is as a, a platform for encouraging other creators and, and collaborating to where, and, and I don't see too many people using it this way, but I've gotten a ton of value and just good vibes from mm. sharing and encouraging other people that just are putting out good stuff, putting in good work, even if it's, especially that it's not super popular. I, I found that at some point I kind of got bored of listening to the giant podcasts, like the Joe Rogan experiences and, and the, just the super popular mainstream stuff. And I found myself looking for more niche art and, and more craft podcasts. And I would stumble upon your guys' stuff. And I was like, oh, this is really good. Like these guys are onto something. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a cool feeling finding, you know, like a smaller kind of creator and then just helping them out in any way that you can. It, it's very, it's almost like this idea of voting with your dollar, which, which I, I know we both believe in in a big way. You also, we're also voting with our attention and, and with our um, creation on, on social media, which is sort of lending other people's attention to, to something. Le- leading me to think about just the, the concept of attention in general online, what yes. people are paying attention to, and then how that, how that manifests into the real world has been, that has changed a lot over the past few years where I recently saw a graph where like the amount of time that people spend online has just been like slowly increasing over the, over the decades. And like the past two years, it made like an extra jump, like another like 10% more than it had. Like it's accelerating for yes. obvious reasons because a lot of people are locked in. But what, what's your relationship like with the, the internet? Are you just like on it all day, every day? Do you find it to be a double-edged sword where it's sort of like destructive to your mental health too? Or have you figured out like a good system for, for using it wisely? Oh, it's a good question, man. And it's something that I definitely still struggle with. And I, I do not have it figured out. I am, I think I definitely am an extremist where it's like either all in or nothing where I'm like deleting Instagram or I'm on it for like, you know, could be five hours a day. I, you know, that, that screen time never lies to you, but you know, I, I do try and make the most out of it. And I've, and I've gotten a tremendous amount of value out of social media. Like I remember when if you look at both of us or probably the listener that's listening to the show right now most of us are just completely different people than when the pandemic started and um i remember when covid had first started i came across carnivore aurelius and solbra and they were much smaller accounts than they were now like you were saying these almost they were almost like micro influ- influencers at the time but they were really the first ones um that were preaching organ meats and sunning your balls and getting outside and like this, like they were, they were exposing me to this alternative health space. And I could tell that they were younger guys too, in their mid to late twenties. Um, and since that time, since getting on Twitter, I've really tried to curate a feed of people that, um, every person that I'm following is, is really adding value to me in one, in one way or another. And there have been so many times where I've had a day where, you know, maybe I was on my phone too late or something was going on. I didn't necessarily feel my best, but then because I've curated my feed so well, I'll see a tweet and boom, like it'll, it'll trigger the right mindset and it'll make me feel really good and make me want to go do work or like, or there's like a new perspective shift or a mindset shift. Like the amount of even just nutritional knowledge that I've gained from social media is insane. I've, I've learned more from about how to eat and where to source my food from on social media than any doctor has ever taught me, you know, exponentially. Um, so, you know, that alone is, is so valuable, but like anything else, I mean, I notice a direct correlation between my happiness and how much time I'm mindlessly scrolling. That's the big thing, not scrolling, but mindlessly scrolling. And I don't know if you notice this or not case, but I even notice when I'm on my phone way more, particularly when I'm getting closer to bed, my, the vividness of my dreams isn't quite as strong. Whereas if I'm like drinking some glycine tea or reading before I go to bed or like really limiting my screen time, I have way more vivid dreams and more clarity of that. So it's just anecdotal, but I think it's interesting nonetheless. That is interesting. I haven't paid 
attention to that, but that sounds likely to me. Using having the glowing screen at night, you know, I know there's science saying that it's bad. Even if I have the blue blockers on, it doesn't feel good. It feels like it's always when I'm feeling me doing something that I feel like I have to be doing, where it's I it's night and day versus reading reading a book or just having a conversation or anything that doesn't involve a screen really. Yeah. And yeah, the connection with the dreams is something I'm going to pay attention to. What what do you think dreams? What are dreams in your in your perception? Another, I mean, I, I love this because I actually don't get asked. I don't get asked questions like this too much. I'm, I'm normally just focusing on the food system and being a meat nationalist. But um, I, I think a lot of my dreams are just a, I, I think a lot of it's just a reflection of your subconscious mind. Honestly, at least at least that's the, those are the things that I dream about. I'll notice, you know, hey, this person will pop up in my dreams. and I feel like I haven't thought about this person in over a year or maybe there's just something lodged deep within there that that comes out. But I think for me, I kind of use that as my benchmark as to like, is there anything going on under the surface that maybe I'm suppressing that maybe I need to address things like that. So I try and, you know, I try and take it with a grain of salt, but also realize like, Hey, if you're dreaming about these things, there's, there's definitely something that's probably embedded in your mind that probably needs to be explored. I, I agree. I, I see it similarly. I think I read some, something written by like Carl Jung at some point and he was like the subconscious mind speaks to us in symbols. So all these dreams are symbols that have affiliations within your own mind. Like if you were, you know, I was like bit by a goose when I was young. So I guess like a goose would represent some sort of threat to my, to my well-being. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I think the funny thing about dreams is like, we write them off as like, oh, it's just a dream. But I'm like, hold on, this is, this is the most bizarre thing about life to me. Like life is filled with bizarre things, but the fact that we turn off and go to sleep, but then we have these like experiences that feel real that are just like random and bizarre like while we're turned off it's like what what is you know that's obviously got to have some importance it's not just like a random like phantom a hundred percent it's like people that deny the existence of god and then i think about these dreams and this connection and then you know all these like serendipitous moments where i'll think about someone randomly and then they'll like somehow pop up into my life like a week after me thinking about them or a day after it's like you know, this stuff, this stuff isn't a coincidence. And I don't think you should treat this stuff like a coincidence, like this whole life that we get to live is so special. And that's what fuels me by the journey that we're on is getting to have conversations like this and connect with people like you and get to literally press record and, you know, share your thoughts and your learnings with with the audience. Like, you know, I think about how young we are, but at the same time, I think about this concept of the passing of time, getting to from 28 to 30 to 40 to 50 to 60, like it's just going to continue to go faster and faster. So it's almost like you have these two conflating beliefs of, you know, you have a lot of time and you also don't have that much time at all. Um, and that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently and trying to just, you know, just maximize it and just get the most out of life, man. Time is a trip. Time is a trip. It is, uh, you'll have these days that feel like they last forever. And then you look back and yeah. 10 years goes by and it's like, what, how am I, uh, how am I supposed to play this the right way? But I completely agree where we are going to do whatever this is the best way by sort of taking the bull by the horns. And, and like you mentioned, leading into meaning and, and, and purpose and, and following your passion and, and your bliss. This is what all the sages have sort of recommended over, over the years. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you're someone who is very well read and, and understands sort of the fabric of reality. Are, are there any seminal books that you've read throughout your life that have sort of given you a, a key to unlocking this understanding? Yeah, I would say, um, I think... There's, there's two books that follow in sequence. The one is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to read that or not. Can I, I'm, it's a, is it blurry? Is that literally in your background? <laughs> yeah, it's up there. <laughs> okay. I, I, wait, is that is it literally in the shot right yeah. now? <laughs> yeah, I, I swear to God, I could not see that at all. And I'm not just saying it because I was initially going to say Turning Pro, which is the sequel. But I think it's, I mean, you could probably read Turning Pro by itself, but I think the war of art is, uh, is amazing. And I think when I, that's so funny though, I swear to God, I literally didn't see that in the background. Dude, we're talking about connection. Like that's not a random thing that I just brought that up and you have that in your background. That's incredible. But he's such a, I mean, Pressfield, I first heard about him on Rogan, which I think a lot of people have. And he's almost like this, uh, he's almost like this folksy grandpa, but he's a badass too. Like he was a Marine and, um, you know, he kicked around wanting to be a writer for a long time and backpacked all up and down California 
and would go back to the Northeast. And I think it, it took him a while before he wrote, he wrote that book. Um, I think it was a legend of Bagger Vance or something like that. That was really the book that broke him out of the woodwork, but amazingly accomplished author, amazing writing style. And I just think the war of art is such a great book for anyone that's interested in creation. And you don't need to just be a writer or an author. Like if you're interested in creating a business or even just putting out a better work product, um, in your job or even within your personal life, it just, it talks about this concept of the resistance and like these creative forces and obstructions to basically tap into our life's higher purpose. It's just the way that he writes it is so beautiful. Um, you know, it takes you like two hours to read. And then he follows it up with Turning Pro, which I think is arguably even better than The War of Art. And like, that's one of those books that I come back to. And I probably, you know, I probably reread it every couple months because the principles are just so freaking good. And I started noticing too, Case, um, that I was reading a lot of books just to say that I was reading books. And I liked the feeling of saying, oh, I read 50 plus books a year. But I started noticing I wasn't retaining a lot of things that I was reading. And I was forcing myself just to get through it for the ego. And I've been starting to get into this mindset of like rereading the things that have had a huge impact on me, as opposed to just trying to like keep finding new books. Like that's still part of the routine, but I also want to go back and keep rereading the books that have instilled the best principles in me that helped me become a better version of myself, you know? Yeah, that's powerful. And, and those two books are really profound, absolutely stand among the best books that I've ever, ever come across. Mm. Just the concept, the concept of resistance is such a powerful one because it, before that conceptualization landed in my mind, there's, there's this quote that something, something like the unseen forces will, will you know, run your lives and, until you get a grip on, on what it is. And I totally botched what I was going for, but I think you get the idea of, of what I'm saying is we're surrounded by these, these forces and, the only way to sort of get a grip on them is through like language and understanding and conceptualization. And the war of art does an excellent job at letting you know, Hey, there's this force inside of you. It's called resistance. It's holding you back from evolving and ascending on the path towards your highest self. Mm. And it's your duty as a being on this planet to your spiritual journey. It's your destiny to overcome this force on a daily basis. And it never stops. It doesn't matter how successful mm. you get. You could be Elon Musk, you could be the most, you know, Leonardo da Vinci name, a famous artist. They're facing resistance every day. And when they go out and they decide to be bold, they decide to take the next best step. It's always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. That's when they're facing resistance. And, and it could be as little as someone deciding to make a burger for lunch, you know, something healthy or going to the gym and, and instead of sitting and, and watching Netflix, that's overcoming resistance. It doesn't have to always be grandiose. It, it's these little steps that lead us towards a, towards a better self. And you mentioned a growth mindset early on in this conversation. And that's another powerful conceptualization where no matter what you are, no matter what you're facing, it's like not stuck, you know, it can fix everything. Everything can change. Everything can mold. We're mostly just energy clouds on the, on this planet. We're not really that solid. So we're, we're, you know, shaping ourselves out of clay. We're, we're moldable, we're malleable. And mm. every time we decide to take action, we're, we're shaping that clay toward, to a different figure, to a different form. And that resistance concept is just such a beautiful one that is absolutely worth being a mainstream concept. I, I think everyone should be aware of that and, and integrate it into their lives. It's so well said, man. And um, to your point, you'd mentioned Elon Musk. I've been I've been thinking a lot about this concept because I watch. I was watching a couple of his clips on his interview with Lex Friedman a couple of years ago, and I think that Lex had asked him the question of like, "What advice would you give to someone in their twenties?" And he basically just said, "Try to be useful to society. It's really hard to be useful." And that it just it really there was something about the way that he said it that just blew my perspective because I think so many people go through life expecting the world to give them something. And we've kind of gotten away from this ability that we should actually be serving the world and serving our community through our unique gifts. Um, so that's why what the Meat Mafia is, is it's embodying these ancestral principles of being able to take control and take autonomy of, of your diet, the way that you exercise, the way that you train, basically like laying this base layer of health that will allow you to be useful. Like you were mentioning the resistance is a lot harder when you're watching porn and you're not eating well and you're not exercising. You become literally a shell 
version of yourself. You're in this like metabolic fog. You don't know what to do. I don't know how there are fat CEOs in the world because when I'm not doing this, I'm not firing anywhere closely to what I could be doing. So that's why I think this concept of the resi of resistance and tying that into nutrition and also serving society is just like this really interesting convergence. And that's really what fuels me a lot is how can I how can I add as much value to society as possible and stop focusing so much on myself and realizing that like we've been given, I've, I've been given so much amazing opportunity. Like I've been given enough. Like I, if I try and give back and be as useful as possible, I'm never gonna have to worry about being happy. I'm never gonna have to worry about having money or having a spouse or having kids. Like all that stuff will follow just from me putting on that mindset of like, you know, serving others and being as valuable as possible and building something of value too. I agree. It's such a powerful perception and way to present yourself to the world that is, is having a, being a service, you know, selfless in a way. And that's, that's also something that's pretty deeply rooted in a lot of the spiritual texts where they recommend being selfless, like put yourself aside, serve the community. And I think Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this, about this is part of becoming an adult, being a man, being responsible, saying I'm here to serve. Like I'm, I'm not a child. I'm not trying to just placate my own needs. I'm here to put my needs aside and, and serve the society in a greater and more powerful way. And mm. I'd like to link this back to what you are doing with the Meat Mafia for a moment. I know at some point you'll probably get sick of talking about ulcerative colitis, but I'm curious, what what is that and how did you heal it? How did you, what was the process of, of getting that in order? I would like to sort of clear that up because we mentioned it a little bit. Totally. No, and I appreciate you asking. And I, and I honestly probably will never get um, tired of talking about it because it's like you, you saw when you and I first started following each other, I posted that picture of myself when I was flared up and I had cystic acne all over my face compared to now. And it's literally a different person, just like this, the transformation that you'd posted over a decade, just how much you've improved. And people you you need to you need to especially men we need examples of other men to prove that like the the body and the spirit is incredibly malleable and you can turn yourself into something way more than you ever thought was possible um so for me um so ulcerative colitis is it's an incurable autoimmune disease it's somewhat similar to crohn's irritable bowel syndrome some other autoimmune diseases or eczema psoriasis rheumatoid arthritis um these these diseases were like virtually non-existent 100 plus years ago. So if you look at a graph of instances of autoimmune disease over time, it literally is like looks like this exponential increase over the last like 50, 60 years. I think there's about 25 million people in the US with um, with autoimmune conditions. And so what they say are these things that these diseases are incurable. So the best that you can hope for is putting these things into remission, but you're never ultimately going to be cured. And so for me, I started noticing that I was having symptoms of UC when I was 21 years old. Um, so I was in between my junior and senior year of college, and I was working an internship in New York City, and I was living at home with my parents in New Jersey. That's where I'm from. So as part of that, I would take the train in two hours in, two hours home. So it was like a four-hour commute each way. And what I was noticing is that that commute was becoming harder and harder and harder because I was having to go to the bathroom so many times in like a public train. And I started noticing in the beginning of the summer that there was a little bit of blood in my stool. And, you know, I don't know if it was because I was young or if I was like just naive or dumb or thought I was invincible, but I just didn't really say anything. I was like, oh, out of sight, out of mind. It'll probably just go away on its own. And, um, you know, looking back, my lifestyle, it, it completely makes sense, right? I was like, I was binge drinking every weekend. I was stressed out because of baseball in my school. I was eating terrible. I had no idea how to cook. You know, typical college, I'm eating fried food out. I'm going out and drinking. I'm eating a pizza cooked in seed oils. So I'm doing all these things wrong and I'm not nourishing my genes with the appropriate inputs. And eventually it caught up to me. So literally by the end of that summer, over a three month period, I was going to the bathroom somewhere between literally 20 to 30 times a day, straight blood and ended up getting checked into the hospital. I took a cabin from New York City to my local hospital in Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, got a colonoscopy and di got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And to answer your question, UC is, it's basically extreme inflammation in your large intestine, which is your colon. Crohn's is the same thing. It's just in your small intestine. So they're very similar. 
and you know you're you're so inflamed that your body just isn't able to process any of the food it's basically just on fire and it can't it's not doing its job of ab- absorbing the the nutrients that you're putting into your body that's why you're losing so much weight cuz it's just all going right through you and these ulcers are so inflamed that it's like you you have blood coming out of your stool not to give you too much information but <laughs> this stuff's important to, to talk about because especially most people don't realize this, but most people that have UC or irritable bowel syndrome are men in their 20s. And I don't think it's a coincidence why that is. It's like, especially as men, we're taught to just, you know, be tough or keep things in. But it's like, if you're noticing these adverse symptoms, like you should be reporting them immediately and try and get them checked out. So, you know, I didn't do that. I got diagnosed with UC and they basically put me on a cocktail of medication to heal that. And to be fair, I'm not anti-Western medicine at all. I literally needed to go on Western drugs because my body was so flared up. I don't know if it, I honestly don't know if it would have been possible to heal on its own because it was so far gone. But I went on an oral steroid called prednisone. I went on Lialdo, which is supposed to help put your UC in a remission. It's an oral drug. And then the big one was called Remicade, which is a biologic drug that you get administered through an infusion right into your, right into your arm. And so you're supposed to get that every eight weeks. Um, the medication is $40,000 per infusion. Um, so I'm literally costing the medical system hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, a few million dollars when it's all said and done. And because this disease is in, incurable, they're saying that you need to be on this drug for the rest of your life. So I'm on these drugs. And then really everything changed for me when I started hearing about the carnivore diet in 2019. Um, and so why that's important is that I was living on my own for the first time and I was starting to cook my meals because I had a roommate that was a bodybuilder. And so I started note, I did notice when I would cook my meals and I was cooking in like butter and olive oil, I would feel better. And then I listened to Dr. Sean Baker on Joe Rogan in 2019. And for a lot of people that was really like their entry point into carnivore. And for anyone that doesn't know, you know, Sean Baker, most well-known carnivore advocate at this point amazing athlete. Uh, he was an emergency surgeon. He's a veteran. He's an unbelievable guy. And he's got this theory that we've evolutionarily evolved to be carnivores. And contrary to what mainstream nutrition is teaching us, you know, animal products, particularly beef and red meat, they're some of the most nutrient dense products you can put into your system. They're incredibly bioavailable. So your body is actually processing these nutrients, not like a synthetic vitamin where you might just be shitting it out and not even taking any of that in. Um, and it's also incredibly healing to the gut because you're, it's almost like an elimination diet where you're getting rid of a lot of these, um, you know, fake foods, like you referred to that, you know, they're food like substances. They're not actual foods grown in nature or grown in soil. So after listening to that podcast, I ended up going on a carnivore diet because I was, I was also seeing that people with UC and Crohn's were anecdotally reporting that they were healing their diseases by going on this diet. And so, you know, there's no studies around any of this stuff because it's still so new and it goes against the standard narrative around nutrition, but anecdotal stories are so powerful. And I think that's like a really important lesson with my story is that, you know, you don't need a peer review study for everything. We've kind of lost this ability to internally take a stance of like what is going on and just be willing to experiment with our diet and the food we put into our system. So for myself, I started eating this way steak, ground beef, chicken thighs, some fish, some eggs. I was still drinking coffee. I didn't cut out coffee, but I was basically cooking all my meals. And I literally noticed within the first five days that I went down and going to the bathroom like two, like two times a day. And, you know, at the time I was like five to six. So to be in a point where I'm going to the bathroom 30 times a day, I'm, I lost 30 pounds to I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm doing Ironmans. I'm doing marathons. Um, and now I'm only going to the bathroom two times a day, you know, it's seemingly unheard of at the time, you know, now we're seeing so many people that are going carnivore and animal based and they're healing these incurable autoimmune diseases. But, you know, and and like anything else, right. It's like, you start to learn your dishes, you start to learn how to cook. You feel amazing. Your energy feels great. Your skin health is improving. Your, your lifts in the gym are getting better. You're popping out of that, uh, out of bed with, you know, vigor and energy, and it really just becomes, it becomes fun and it becomes part of your lifestyle and you start teaching your friends and your family about it and everything's kind of just grown from there. And so now I'm about, you know, I'm, you know, three, four years of doing this now. 
And, um, you know, I, I was able to get off of the Remicade drug last year because my inflammation and my microinflammation had gone away. So for me, that was like the proof of concept of that diet and lifestyle really do work. And unfortunately, there's very few doctors that are willing to talk to us about these things. But, um, you know, the body is an incredibly resilient and healing piece of machinery. And, um, you know, when you nourish your body and your genes with the right foods and the right inputs, it's pretty amazing what it's capable of doing. And so that's a lot of our goal case through this show is to expose people to that and try and just keep gathering experiences and examples of people that are healing themselves through, uh, through the right foods. Well said and beautiful story, powerful experience that, that you went through, especially considering the world at large. So the, the narrative put you in a box. I said, Hey, you've got this terrible disease. You're going to need to take these drugs for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. outside this box, you heard this, this voice of a guy spreading truth, spreading light. He's like, Hey, if you only eat meat, things are going to get a little bit better. And even though the same box you're in is like, oh no, no meat is unhealthy. Meat, meat causes, is a carcinogen. It, it causes heart disease. And you're like, well, th maybe this guy's right. Like, let me try that out. All of a sudden, you don't, you're not just doing okay. You completely heal an incurable disease. You're getting off these drugs. You're out of the box now. You're running Ironmans and marathons, basically proving that this box is built on lies. The entire, like the entire box and spreading this this technology, this story, this, this amazing innovation that is catching on and, and is growing in strength at a time when we really need it because ulcerative colitis is, is one thing. It's terrible. It affects 25 million people. It sounds horrendous. But there are other similar parallel diseases, as we call them, you know, manifestations of inflammation, whether it's obesity, diabetes, to name two massive ones that are affecting probably... I don't know, 8X as many people. And, and those can also be cured through a carnivore diet. I, there's a beautiful thread Dr. Sean Baker has on Twitter that just has success story after success story of, mm -hmm. of people healing themselves by eating only meat, which we know the reality of, which is, hey, this is the most nutrient-dense food on earth. And, and people who aren't quite on board with that will say, oh, the carnivore is an elimination diet. It's, on one hand, sure, yeah, you're not eating, you're eliminating you know, most foods. But on the other hand, it's also an elevation diet because you're eating only the most nutrient dense food. You're maximizing your digestion into this one substance that has within it all the vitality that you need to survive and thrive as, as a homo sapien on earth. And it's just like, man, it, it's so mind blowing because I, I remember, so my journey with this is kind of similar to, to yours in a way, because mm. I was 22 and I had this tumor growing out of my like wrist area. And I thought, ah, it'll go away, whatever. And then it just kept growing yeah. kind of slowly. And one day I was like playing beer pong and I banged it on a table and it started bleeding all down my arm in like the middle of a party. And I was like, oh, this, I need to go to the doctor, I guess. Like this, this isn't going away. And, and then at that point they, they, they cut it out and I was like, ah, okay. They're like, this is a tumor. We'll test it. Maybe it's cancer. It's maybe it's not. I had like a stressful week and they're like, it's malignant. It's nothing. And I was like, well, it's not nothing, but something I'm doing isn't quite right because that shouldn't be, I shouldn't be having a tumor at 22. And then I heard Rob Wolf on the Joe Rogan experience, similar experience, but a slightly different, slightly different paradigm. And I, I became, got enamored in paleo, but that led me to becoming much healthier. I got rid of a ton of depression, anxiety. My acne went away from that. But then in 2015, I started being bombarded with plant-based propaganda as someone who really loves nature and has always love the, the idea of environmentalism, just the fact that like, hey, we should take care of the earth because it's like really our extended body. That led me to eat more plant-based, which then destroyed my health. So at that point, I was confused as hell because like, what is the right way to eat? So I started studying everything and finding the corollary. And, and it seemed like, okay, vegetables are the one thing that everybody agrees on. But then here come these carnivore guys and they're like, well, actually, hold up. Maybe the vegetables aren't so good. It's just, it's fucking wild. The entire landscape of nutrition and the fact that we have this thing we have to do every single day, eat food. And there's a million different ways. It, it can be pretty confusing out there. Oh my gosh. It's such a, it's such a great story. And it's so true, right? It's, you know, we're, we're overwhelmed with content. We're overwhelmed with information you know, we consider ourselves to be the apex predator. We have so many incredible inventions, what we, you know, the, the footprint that we've left on this earth, yet we're the only species that really doesn't know what to eat. Like you're saying, do we eat meat? Do we eat fish? Do we eat fruits? Do we eat vegetables? It's like, and there, there's great arguments for all these things, 
but the fa- and we can think about that for a while. But the fact is, is that what we're doing isn't working, right? If it was working, 70% of adults wouldn't be overweight or obese. 40% of our children now wouldn't be overweight or obese. Like one out of 10 kids has fatty liver disease from sugar. So basically a disease that like aged alcoholics would get, our kids are now getting. And the fact that there's still this resistance to experimenting with a carnivore diet or meat, meat-based diets is so interesting. Um, and to your point, when I first went carnivore in 2019, I was working at a tech company in New York. So, you know, as part of that, you know, there are a lot of engineers that have degrees from Harvard and MIT and some of the smartest people that I ever met. And at the time I would, you know, I would cook up like a pound of ground beef or steak or chicken thighs and just heat it up and bring it into the, uh, bring it into the office and just pound it. And people would come up to me, look literally like 50 pounds overweight, drinking Mountain Dew and getting insomnia cookies from down the street. And they would ask me, they would be like, dude, aren't you going to like, isn't that, isn't eating meat, like not healthy? Like, aren't you going to die of a heart attack? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, you're 50 pounds overweight. I'm curing my autoimmune disease. And you're telling me that I'm going to die of a heart attack. Um, And I think that really encapsulates a lot of this. It's almost like a nutritional psyop that we've lent ourselves to. And I think with this show, I'm not going to tell anyone how that they should eat because I don't think it's my right to do that. But I do want to encourage everyone to experiment and do their own research and figure out what approach makes the most sense for you. Like you said, you went paleo. You felt amazing. Some people, there's some great arguments that exist that maybe evolutionarily we are meant to be carnivores like Dr. Chafee, Dr. Baker. I would go dig into those resources. Some people love the work of Paul Saladino and eating animal-based and incorporating things like fresh fruit and raw honey and raw dairy. Um, Our bodies all just have a very unique metabolic fingerprint. And I think you should figure out what approach makes the most sense for you. But you know, if you can just start by getting out of those inner aisles of the grocery store and living in the outer perimeters of real foods, which is meat, fish, eggs, you know, fruits, vegetables, some raw dairy, and just determine what ratios make the most sense for you. I mean, I, I think that it's unbelievable what you can do for your health. And I think a lot of people um, have done their own work and they, they can attest to that. Absolutely. And if, if we think back evolutionarily, I know that various groups of Homo sapiens had different experiences across this globe. We're both uh, of some sort of Caucasian descent. I know I'm like an American mutt with just like a mixed breed, but you know, I I grew up in New Hampshire where it is cold and snowy in the winter. And I'm guessing my Mm -hmm. Caucasian ancestors likely had a similar experience. And if you look around, there aren't too many vegetables or fruits or any of that stuff to eat. So what, what do you think our forefathers and mothers were doing to live through the winters back in the day? I don't think that they were picking many berries or eating too many tubers. They were either fasting or they were feasting on animal livers and, and, and muscle meat and making bone broth from the leftovers. Otherwise, they were starving to death. Yes. And, and there's just, there's no other way, there's no other way around it. It's just common sense. It's logic. It's just evolution, man. It's a fact. A great guest for your show. One of the most impactful guests that we've ever had on is Dr. Bill Schindler. And for anyone that doesn't know who he is, he is a, um, he's an archaeologist and he's an anthropologist. And he has a really interesting way of like, just talking through nutrient density and figuring out what foods we're actually supposed to be eating. And a lot of what he talked about when he came on our show was similar to what you just said, where it was like, you know, at one point in time, we were really just foraging and we were eating berries and plants and vegetables. And that was all we really had access to. And then through the advent of technology, that's where everything started to change, the ability to create weapons and create spears. And it gave us this ability to hunt for the first time ever as humans and access this different level of nutrient density that had never previously been available to us before. And that's really what has allowed us to evolve and thrive as human beings of these like these fat-soluble vitamins and everything they do for our cognitive health and our brain health. Um, And it's interesting to think that we live in a world now where something like meat, which is what we've thrived off of as a species for 10,000 plus years, you know, all of a sudden we're blaming chronic diseases and things like that on red meat, which is something we've thrived off of. And then within the last 50 to 60 years, it's been, there's been this rapid industrialization and commercialization of food and no one's really pointing the blame there. We instead think that, oh, going plant-based and cutting meat out is the answer. It's just, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about it from that lens. It is. It is. And also just 
I want to say evil, although I know that's not quite the right word. Like we're not living in sort of, a, you know, some sort of sci-fi drama, like good against evil, but it really, it really is, mm-hmm. is harmful. And the fact that there, there are companies out there, big, successful, rich companies, guys with yachts, yachts on yachts, they've got a yacht for their yacht. And, and they're saying like, well, we need to boost our quarterly profits, profits, you know, five, 10% this year. So I think if we, you know, kind of spread this message that, this healthy food that America has used to, to become a successful country over, over the years, you know, beef, meat, it's what gives, makes our children strong and healthy and able to pay attention and, and, and grow to become successful adults that are contributing to society. Let's, let's just say that that's bad. We're going to present some alternatives to the market, um, you know, because these alternatives, they have a higher profit margin. So, so we're going to boost our quarterly profits. And, and that, that cycle is just like repeated year after year, decade after decade. And these other companies come along and say, oh, Dang, you know what? We tend to make more money when on, on the medicines that we sell when, when this message gets spread. So like, let, let's kind of contribute to this message as well. And now you've got these two entities, big food and big pharma, that are just multi-trillion dollar companies essentially running the world because they're, they're paying off politicians. And, and we, the people, are, are sitting and struggling under the weight of these lies, trying to, to spread some light and spread some truth and say, hold on, like my experience is different from, from what I see everywhere. I'm going to tell a friend, I'm going to tell a friend to tell a friend, we're going to spread the word on social media because it's, it, it's the key to unlocking quality of life is, ha- is having proper nutrition. That, that's really the foundation because everything else is linked to it. Oh, it's such a, it's such a powerful point, man. It's so, it's so important. And, you know, when you start to go down this whole journey, your, your friends that are maybe eating a traditional a standard American diet they will look at you like you're crazy and they're going to be like, oh, like, don't you miss this food or that food? And it doesn't mean you can't have those things sporadically, right? Like I'm back in New Jersey right now visiting my parents. There's a, my favorite pizza spot is 20 minutes away. Like I went and had pizza a couple of days ago. I'm not going to beat myself up over it though, because I know that I'm so consistent over time that one meal like that and that nourishment of what I'm having with my family is going to outweigh you know, the, the carbs and the wheat and the tomatoes and all that kind of stuff. That's, that, that's a little bit of a tangent, but, um, I don't, I don't necessarily view this stuff as restriction. I more so just view it, um, you know, as a choice and an investment into my health, because I, I know the way that I feel when I eat this way. And I know the people that I can impact. And like, we were, like we were talking about before, when we're thinking about this concept of wanting to be a, a useful man to society us choosing to nourish ourselves with the right food and taking autonomy over those inputs, that's like the best way to lay that base layer to be to be something and someone of value. Um, so it's not something to take lightly. This is this is genuinely your health. And I don't think we're getting another shot at this thing. So why would you not try and maximize the time that you have in this meat suit, however, however long that's going to be? Agreed 100%. And the thing that people discount when they look at the restrictive aspect of eating in a way that's more nutrient dense, where you're not eating, you know, basically wheat at every meal, just like big bundles of carbohydrates and, and getting high off that essentially, you know, it's like yes. what, what they discount is, is how good your mindset feels is where your baseline levels of serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, all, all of that, the dial gets turned up on life. Like everything's a little more vibrant all the, the good vibes feel a little bit better. And, and it's overall a better, more buoyant, more elevated state than, than when you're going from like feasts to like snack to feast to snack. And that's difficult to describe. It's something that you really have to experience firsthand to, to get a grip on. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. It's such a, it, I'm almost hearing people that are going carnivore outside of just the weight loss there. I'm hearing more anecdotal stories of people that are effectively curing their anxiety and their depression um, and I was never someone that's dealt with depression before, but I would have twinges of anxiety every once in a while. And that was one of the things that I noticed is that when I would go through these periods of being very focused and diligent with cooking my meals and eating a lot of saturated fat, per- primarily in the form of beef, um, thoughts and feelings and things that bothered me no longer bothered me anymore. And I do notice that when I go off my path and I eat something standard or I go out and eat something laced in seed oils or high in uh, refined sugars or something like that. Some of, some of those thoughts will come back and almost feels like a hangover in some ways, how people get the scaries after they drink. I get that with, I think a lot of people get that with food. Um, but to your point, you have to give yourself the ability to kind of like climb out of that, that metabolic hole. Like, so if someone that's listening to this and has never gone carnivore or paleo, and you've only ever really eaten a standard American diet, 
it's such a worthwhile practice to just give yourself a week to two weeks to just cook your meals and eat and eat just real foods, meat, fish, eggs, fruits, vegetables, cook your meals, have great meals with yourself and your family and just see how you respond to that. Cause I would be shocked if just that alone, you don't feel infinitely better. Um, but you gotta, you kind of have to dig yourself out of this, this metabolic hole that we put ourselves into through years and years and years of eating food-like substances and not real food. It's a great way to start. That is an excellent first step for anyone who's curious, who's got their interest peaked about getting a foot into this door and, and, and a step on this path is just lay out a week. Say, hey, I'm going to give give myself seven days. You can do anything for seven days. Well, maybe not anything, but you certainly do this. Yes. Have, have some fresh whole food every day for a week. Tell me you don't feel 10 times better on, on Sunday than you did the Saturday before. And when, when, when I think about this, basically this, this conversation that, that we've had, it's, it's, it's circling a lot of powerful topics. What do you see yourself kind of creating in this, these next few seasons of your life? I know that we've talked a little bit about the idea of, of you're going to be getting maybe a ranch and some cows, something like that. Is, is this sort of something that you're excited about on the horizon? Is this sort of the next step in the evolution of, of the meat mafia? Yeah, I think it's important. It's really important for Harrison. Like we, you know, we, we talk for hours every day, right? Cause we're just always chopping it up about things that we can be doing to have the, the best possible um, impact. And I think something we think a lot about is never just wanting to be those guys with a microphone that are microphone that are armchair quarterbacking and talking about ranching or these topics without ever having the experience of like rolling our sleeves up and like putting our hands in the soil and getting dirty. Like, you know, you said you're from New Hampshire. Like I'm from the New Jersey, New York area, kind of a city boy at heart. Like I'm a, I'm a suburb guy. Like I grew up super disconnected with my food. Like I didn't shake my, I didn't know a farmer until last year. Like that was just kind of, that was just like the life that I came from. And, you know, it was really this nutritional journey that's fueled this whole movement to the meat mafia and connecting with these really local sources of food. So when I think about everything that we want to do, it's like, you know, we're, we're in the process right now of, um, we're going to lease a property out in Bastrop, uh, Texas, which is like 30 minutes outside of Austin, um, get some chickens, get some animals and really start to learn how to farm and document that story for people, especially basically just being two idiots from the Northeast that don't know what we're doing. Like just going, going on that journey, I think it'd be cool for people. Um, and just, you know, just really putting our money where our mouth is. I think what gets us excited is this concept of doing like a virtual podcast tour of like getting into an RV and just driving around the country and doing episodes with people that we've looked up to, um, to put the best possible content out. Like, you know, around Christmas time, we're going to drive back from Texas to the Northeast and along that way, we're going to do a whole, a whole in-person podcast tour. So we're going to go record an episode with Will Harris at White Oak Pastures. We're going to do an episode with Ken Berry in Tennessee, um, Joel Salton at Polyface Farms, um, and, a, and a few other people. And that's, you know, like that's, that's the stuff that really gets us excited is being able to have these amazing conversations and explore these concepts around, you know, why, have, why have we become so unhealthy, but like, what can we actually do to improve upon that and live this, this high quality of life? So I think you're just going to continue to hopefully just see this movement get, get bigger and bigger. And, you know, we'd love to just keep adding to our team and being able to put out more content. And I think also we've talked about this a little bit before, um, you know, maybe creating some, a food brand around real foods that aren't as readily available. So create, you know, something with, steak chips or really good quality pork rinds that are fried in tallow and not seed oils, um, organ stick bars, you know, really good quality bone marrow. That's like actually jiggly and collagenous, not like beef water, a lot of what exists today at scale. So, you know, things like that get us, get us really excited. And, um, it's kind of like controlled chaos, which I'm sure Harry told you a lot of it's like, some days it feels like we're throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. But I think that's also kind of been like, it's like the recipe to our to our madness and success in some ways. Powerful. Just over the past year, you've you've had some explosive growth and, and, and evolution in your creative journey. And I'm really excited to see where it leads over these next few years. There'll be links down below everywhere where folks can can find you to connect with your stuff and really appreciate the time that you spent here today. I really enjoyed the conversation. That was awesome. And um, do you have any last 
sort of parting words or, or things that you'd like to, to share with, with anyone listening? No, I think the big thing, man, is I just really appreciate you being, being willing to have me on the show and, and put up with me rambling for the last hour. But I would just encourage everyone to lean into Twitter and don't just connect with people by adding them on Twitter, like be willing to jump on calls and, and join groups. And you might be surprised at the friends and the connections that you can make. Like, like, you and I case, like we've never met in person, but I feel like I know you so well. I feel like I know you better than some of my friends that I grew up with in New Jersey, just because we have these, uh, these shared passions and connections that are so core to, to our lives. And tw that's like, Twitter is really what brought us together, but you're never going to experience that gold if you're not willing to like go out and connect with people. And just by connecting with people, we've been able to build this brand. You've been able to build your show. There, so we have so many buddies that are doing amazing things in this space. And um, a lot of it is like honing into the leverage of the internet and using it as a tool to get to where you want to be. So I just hope that like, if there's anyone that's, if, if there's anyone listening to this and they're on the fence about creating, like just taking action and taking that first step, man, is like, that's so much of the battle. And I think that, um, that if you can take that first step, a lot of things will naturally solve itself from there. Awesome, Brett, thank you. Thank you, brother, I appreciate you.